0: The Innovate 608 podcast is brought to you by Starting Block Madison and sponsored by the Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com, and the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact. The institute invests in visionary entrepreneurs who are building scalable social enterprises, offering economic opportunity for all, healthy youth development, learning, and academic achievement, and resilient communities. From the Starting Block Madison studio in the beautiful Capitol East neighborhood of downtown Madison, Wisconsin, this is the Innovate 608 podcast. And I am your host, Nora Rowan Schmidt. Thank you for joining us today. You're listening to the Innovate 608 podcast coming to you from Starting Block, Madison. Thank you to our sponsors, the American Family Institute and Madison.com. Today in the studio, we have Jason Weaver, CEO of Airdeck. Airdeck is a document narration and tracking platform that lets users record audio and video on documents and presentations. Jason, welcome to the Innovate 608 podcast. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh, we're so thrilled to have you. Let's talk about your journey in entrepreneurship. When did you first become interested in being an entrepreneur?
1: Well, I'm not sure how far back we want to go, but my mom was uh, just visiting last week, and she was telling everybody a story about when I started to sell rocks to our neighbor's kids in our neighborhood, (laughs) (laughs) so I was like, "Uh, really, I did that? She's like, yeah, you had a table set up in front of our house, and you're trying to sell different types of rocks and collectibles and stuff to all the neighborhood children, so I think I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had businesses, um, you know, uh, early on. Uh, I remember in middle school, I went and actually sold sunglasses house to house to people, so, you know, I have had kind of the knack for sales, but... True entrepreneurship. I mean, I got kind of forced into that opportunity where, um, you know, I had a job which I was laid off on and then I had to make the decision to go full blown into what would be my first funded company, Shoutlet. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's, let's talk about AirDeck just a little bit before we talk about some of the, the previous uh, entities. How does it work? Why is it unique? And where did the inspiration come from?
1: Good. Well, that's that's yeah, that's my favorite topic. So I built it because um, you know I was having a hard time getting a hold of people, right? Um, with Zoom, you know, and phone calls, and trying to get a scheduled meeting with somebody nowadays is pretty hard, right? Absolutely. Um, you also hear of Zoom fatigue, etc. So. I was, I was doing sales and marketing and stuff for my other company and um, I realized that there's only a couple different ways to communicate a presentation or a document to somebody. One, I could get them on a video call and walk through it live, right? Or two, I could send a PDF or a PowerPoint as an attachment and try to write a long email explaining the attachment, right? There was nothing really in between. So, I um, I decided to write, Air, you know, build Airdeck because we needed a a way to communicate documents when you couldn't be there. Right. So, um, air allows you to add an aeration or video to any document presentation, sales proposal, brochure. I've seen so many uses of it now. Uh, it's the best way to explain something. Right. So, um, you know, often I was reaching out to vice presidents of marketing or sales and they'd be like, it's great, Jason, send over, a, you know, a, a presentation. I'll take a look and let you know if we're interested. I knew the second that left my outbox, they weren't going to read it. Right. Mm-hmm. But since Airdeck allows you to add voice narration to documents, it's much more engaging. People sit back, they listen, they absorb it, and they remember everything. So it's the next best thing to being there live.
0: How many people are using Airdeck right now?
1: Um, we have about 3,000 users. Um, so we, we have, a, um, you know, they're broken up by companies. So different companies will buy seats, you know, for, for users. So some, are, some of our customers are TrustArk, Split.io, booster thon uh, that are using it on a daily basis. And they're using it in different aspects, too. Where we started and it was mostly outbound sales, now it's gone into customer success departments because they're doing their voiced quarterly business reviews with their customers. It's now gone into onboarding, right, where people are bringing in a new employee and they're voicing a whole, you know, um, uh, onboarding program for new employees as they're coming in, recruiting. Um, QTI right across the street from here is a, is a big user of ours as well. They're using it to walk people through 401k plans, right? Imagine not having to do that live anymore. You can Mm -hmm. pre-record it and and still personalize it, of course. Right.
0: Oh, absolutely. What's the last year been like for you? Uh, You know, for some entrepreneurs, I've had conversations that, um, COVID was an incredibly challenging year. You know, we're still kind of in the thick of it here, but You know, for others, they've said that it offered this creative burst of energy and enthusiasm for the work that they were doing that they didn't anticipate. What what's your experience been like?
1: It's been explosive for us, growth-wise. Um, you know, I, I I always tell the story that we got lucky, kind of like the Bubba Gump shrimp boat. If you ever saw, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you ever saw that, you know, we were like one of the last boats on the water. Came back with all the shrimp. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was just right place at the right time. I had worked on it a prior year and a half before, you know, really having some momentum. Just building it, tweaking it, beta testing it, self-funded it in the beginning, and uh, it was really it was really good for us. One day, I got a call from uh, somebody that works at Amazon. And they were putting together this website called Free Educational Resources. This is in February when COVID is just about ready to break out. Mm-hmm. And I, I partnered with them. And we donated AirDeck in the beginning to over 800 schools and universities, right? And and thousands of, you know, students that were using it underneath it uh, to turn in final exams that they didn't have a way to do that, um, to do lectures and courses. And still, Northwestern University still uses it today. So, um, so it was a good brand awareness kickoff for us, I guess, COVID, you know, where mm-hmm. we got a lot of users really quickly. Um, and then as we started dialing it down, you know, we, we understood who our key target audience is and started focusing on that. So.
0: You also had a really successful fundraising year. Yeah. And because fundraising is something that it seems that people are either good at or they have a lot of challenges with, mm-hmm. can you talk about fundraising the right way? How did you find success?
1: Well, I, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's a little bit easier when it's your second or third startup and you have had a couple exits, right? Because then you have a, um, a reputation where, you know, you built companies and have sold them. So it came a little bit easier this time because I had VCs that I'd worked with prior and uh, investors that have been in, you know, previous companies of mine and stuff. For this, for the startup entrepreneur though, you know it's changed a little bit since when I started. Before, you used to be able to fund an idea. And now you have to fund a platform. You have to have it built almost already. Right, mm-hmm. so you go through friends and family and seed rounds to get to that minimal viable product, as we always talk about. And, um, you know, I, I think we were successful at it because I wouldn't, I I remember I had an investor, Dave Trotter, he'll tell you the story too. He was a Winnebago seed fund. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let him invest until I proved it worked myself, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was eager to invest based on reputation and stuff like that. Sorry, Dave. And, and I said, let me, let me go make sure that we can get conversion, that we can get paid customers before we get, you know, money, and I think a lot of young entrepreneurs that I talk to today, they think that funding has to be one of the first pieces, right? And I always say that sales solves everything, right? So if you can get your product to market and start selling it, the funding will come, right? Um, and then it's also important, I think, to know the different levels, be true to yourself where you're at. You know, I've seen entrepreneurs that want to go out in the beginning and raise millions and millions of dollars when their business really doesn't support that yet, you know, mm-hmm. it's, the VC guys are very smart. They know exactly every level that you need to hit before you go to the next round and you need to know how they think, you know? So I've been successful funding three, three of my past companies, you know, Charlotte, we raised close to $25 million, uh, spin which my company before air deck, we raised nearly 2 million in this company. We raised 3.9 million. So, um, if you can understand how you fit with the VC's portfolio, their investment criteria, where they're at in their fund, know some partners or different people that can introduce you to partners at a VC fund. It's not really that challenging, I found, you know, as long as you have a compelling vision and you know how to navigate that system.
0: How is angel investing different? Um, Many of our listeners are new to entrepreneurship and are just trying to navigate all of this. Yeah. When would someone go to an angel investor instead and what are some of the best practices there? I know that you are an angel investor. right. Um, what's an example of a really great approach and an unfortunate? <laughs>
1: approach you know there's pluses and minuses for each of them you know when you're really starting out sometimes it's your you're putting in your own money or you have your mom or uncle or whatever you know friends and family putting in money or or you know, that kind of stuff and that's the easiest route because they're betting on you the jockey right so um, when you get to the angel funding round you know there's there's individual angels which are also good you know there's some super angels that can write checks for a hundred thousand plus the typical angel will write a check between 10 and twenty thousand right mm-hmm. And um, the, the challenge with individual angels is you have to gather a bunch of them to raise like 200000 If I want to raise $200,000, obviously I need 10 angels at 20000 apiece. But now I'm dealing with 10 individual investors, you know, updating them, board meetings, or whatever it is, right, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving them information. It's a little bit more flexible because, you know, you don't have all the rules and restrictions that come with the VC, right? Um, there's, you know, all the different... Um, things that are written in your term sheet that you have to abide by when you get VC funding. So individual angels are good. You know, if you at an early stage, I'd say you want to raise like 100 to 250,000, right? The other group that I talked to, um, is there's angel groups, you know, angels on the water up North. There's, um, some in Chicago, there's, um, you know, the, uh, the one in Milwaukee and, um, They, they, they basically take it on an entity. So they'll form like an LLC and they'll have like 10 or 12 angels put in money and then you're dealing with one entity, right? Those, I found those to be good and bad because some of them think they're VCs, (laughs) right? (laughs) So they try to write a lot of, you know, preferred uh, stocks um, and, you know, different things that are a little bit tighter than, you know, than just an angel uh, investor would. Um, But they, um, they make it easier you know, because you pitch the whole group and then you walk out with one check, one one entity that you're dealing with, right? And then obviously when you get to the venture capital level, either if you're gonna raise, you know, a good amount of money in the beginning, you gotta have an idea that's very solid or a proven model, right? Um, or you gotta have traction. You know, I always tell um entrepreneurs my fifteen million dollar round that I raised at Shoutlet was our easiest round because I could walk in with an Excel sheet and show how we'll scale. Yeah, we had that round closed easily. I had already proven that the company would work, right? So those are the different levels, and then it's just a matter of valuation, right?
0: Leadership can be incredibly rewarding and also incredibly challenging, I listened to an interview where you referenced a quote, um, by Ernest Hemingway, never confuse movement with action. And I was really struck by that. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this. Um, and also tell me about how you work to inspire your team.
1: Sure. Yeah. The, the thing I, I, I just lectured the, <laughs> the company the other day about that quote, the, te- the thing that I've learned most, when I was at shell it was my first company before airdeck It was really hard. You know, I, I got that company to a million in revenue before we took a dime of funding, right? And that was just true grit. That was just hustling and selling and, and those kind of things. And the lesson I learned, I'm glad I went through that, even though it was very painful. The lesson I learned from that is I had to be really effective at time management, right? Like I, I was writing proposals at eight or 10 at night while my wife's watching TV, you know, and I'd get up the next morning and be doing prospecting in the morning and then deal with all the platform and customer issues all day long. Like I had to categorize and plan my day and agenda every single day, very efficiently. Right. So what I, what I liked about the quote, you know, never confuse movement with action is a lot of times entrepreneurs are doing a lot of busy things, you know, like they're meeting with people, they're. Um, calling different customers, and you really need to identify your ideal customer, you know, as we talk about all the time, and you need to really ask yourself, you know, is that really going to get me business? Is that really going to move the needle? You know, I made early mistakes where I did these huge partnerships with like a salesforce.com that netted $0, you know, and so I, I had to really peel it back and say, how am I maximizing every single minute of my day to push the needle forward, right? To just focus on action instead of being busy, right? And uh, I try to instill that in our employees today. We go through and do planning agendas and stuff like that and saying, you know, efficiency is what's going to make us move faster. So
0: mm-hmm. just to expand on that just a little bit, because it's something that I personally struggle with sometimes. It's mm-hmm. just tons and tons of movement and running in circles trying to get things done talk to me about how you balance your life how how do you make the most out of the efforts that you're putting in during the day and then how do you find time for yourself and your family
1: it's well. I don't think I've mastered it. First of all, so I'm, I'm just a, I'm like every <laughs> other CEO,
0: apparently. Right. right. <laughs> I,
1: I I'm still trying to find that work life harmony. You know, I've now been married 20 years, and I think my wife has identified that this is always going to be a part of my life, entrepreneurship, and we've accepted that. I'll get a phone call on a vacation once in a while, but I try to I try my best to be there where I'm at the moment. You know, and and not to not to plug our software, but that's part of the reason why AirDeck was invented too to have less meetings, right? We, we can record audio clips, video clips, narrate documents, presentations, proposals with Airdeck, and that has changed my life. It's changed my life. I I used Airdeck 12 times yesterday, I counted, right? Um, and I didn't have one single Zoom meeting, right? I had, um, let me give you an example. We we had a brochure that we're trying to finish, right? Um, and uh Typically, what I would do, or a, a person would do, is we'd say, "Let's have a call about it. Like, let's go through and edit the copy, talk about the logos and colors and that kind of stuff on Zoom." Instead, I took a PDF version of that brochure, I uploaded to AirDeck, I used a laser pointer, and walked them through exactly what I wanted to change on that brochure, and just sent it to them. 10, mm-hmm. 15 minutes as opposed to a half an hour, an hour call. Sure. So I've you know saved time that action versus movement, right? Right. We also had a brainstorming session that day where I'm on a whiteboard talking about where we want to build the product, all that kind of stuff too. Instead of sending over a flurry of notes, which I know nobody will read, <laughs> I took that JPEG, uploaded to Airdeck, and voiced over. Now this is what we talked about in here, what are actionable next steps here. Right. We have a daily stand-up in Slack that I created a voice note using Airdeck, and I just put an audio clip in Slack. Every single person in the company every day, puts an audio clip or a video clip in that stand-up channel and we know what the entire company is tracking towards every single day. Right. Mm-hmm. So having the right tools, you know, and having the right mindset of how can I um, you know, maximize my time has changed my life, right? Um, we have this internal saying too, because we're all about not wasting time at AirDeck. We we have this internal saying, we say, could that have been an AirDeck? Right? Mm-hmm. When somebody has a meeting request or they want to jump on the phone, we're like, could you have AirDeck that? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's really it's really changed our lives
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. You've experienced a tremendous amount of success. Thanks. And it's really awesome. I've found for myself that professionally, sometimes I learn the most from failure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you talk about something? where you failed or a time that you were told absolutely not on a cool new idea that you had and then how you turned that around
1: yeah I've I could fill the rest of the podcast with failure <laughs> uh, so it's funny I was just thinking about that question as you're asking it nobody remembers the failures they always remember the successes just remember that and one of, my, one of my mentors once told me, you know, Jason, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, you only have to be right once, right? So I, I've had tremendous amount of uh, failure. The, there is another app that I had between this and Airdeck um, that failed miserably. I was trying to do a consumer version of this audio thing. It was kind of like an early clubhouse. And when I got it ready, I never had worked in consumer before, and I raised some money for it, and I pushed it out there, and then I realized consumer is really unicorn. Like, the Ubers of the world, the clubhouses of the world, they're really, you know, just, it's a shooting star, right? And I got into that and realized um, I'd raised, I think, probably a couple hundred thousand, and I realized I needed about six million dollars to market this correctly, right? So, I folded the company, and I was like, there's no way that I can do this. So, I've, I've, many opportunities where I've taken those pieces of failure and now I've converted that into companies that succeeded. So that app that I created was the precursor or the idea to narrated documents, right? So I don't see it so much as a huge failure, you know, the company closed down. I see it as a learning experience to help me catapult this, which we raised 3.9 million and got going on, right?
0: As a leader and an important figure in the Madison ecosystem, what do you see as your responsibility to mentor, educate, facilitate young companies, young entrepreneurs, and assist in their success?
1: Yeah, I, I, I thanks for that question. I had a um, quote that I, that I look back on all the time. It says, you know, if you make it in business, you have a responsibility to send the elevator back down, right? And I do that. Just yesterday, I had a brand new startup um, here at Starting Block uh, reach out to me, asking for advice on funding and stuff. I always make time. And I'm kind of upset by the CEOs and folks that don't make time, right? Because you always have to make time for that. You know, I am so thankful and appreciative of all the people that support me continuously to this day uh, for the startups that I've had. I wouldn't be here without that, right? I had um, CEOs, that that have uh, taken time and had coffee with me you know peter gunder here at AmFam, big, um, you know, resource for me when I was getting Shoutlet going, um, we sit down here you know, the guy's hugely busy. would sit down with me and talk to me for an hour, you know, about different business stuff. He taught me how to run an effective board meeting. Like I never knew, you know? Um, and, uh, so I think, I think I take that seriously. You know, I, I, um, if an entrepreneur reaches out, reaches out to me and they want advice, I will carve out a piece of my day to take that call, to make that, you know, happen and try to point them in the right direction, you know, cause this is a small community and, you know, eventually they're going to be a customer, an employee, a partner or something. So, you know, I believe in karma and you got to send that elevator back down. So
0: you could probably have your business anywhere in the world. Yep. We're all working all over the place now. Why Madison and what's special about the Madison ecosystem?
1: well i i moved here that's a great question too i moved here back in 2000 to work for sonic foundry i'd never been to madison before i grew up in florida so i'm still getting acclimated to the weather here by the way so <laughs> Fair um, so um but it's um you know after living here for you know 20 years you know we've looked at you know is there some my wife and i like you know is there some place else we'd rather be we can't find a place better right um you know, I'd love it to be a little bit warmer as a Florida boy, but it's been uh, an amazing community. I had tremendous support from UW when I was starting out. They used to invite me over all the time to give speeches and stuff, and I got tons of business from it. Starting Block, you too, Nora. You know, it's been tremendously supportive of this community, and it's just a strong sense of community here. And I have three kids now. You know, they've grown up here. You know, it's. Um, I think John Roach, one of my mentors and guys that I admire, said it's a it's a big, small town. <laughs> Right. So uh, I love that quote because it's really you have every resource you need right here in Madison. And I think, you know, companies from the outside are starting to identify that as well. You know, obviously you've got uh, Zendesk that's moved here. you got Google that set up office here. Um, it's just a great community. So I can't ever see leaving.
0: How do you think starting block and entrepreneurial support organizations as well as other startups and entrepreneurs can help to encourage Entrepreneurship in Madison and in the state of Wisconsin.
1: You mean as far as forming new companies and stuff?
0: Yeah, or you know, providing um, additional resources or different areas of emphasis, for example.
1: Well, I think if you're if you're a startup CEO, first of all, it's it's lonely at the top. You know, no matter how big your your company is or how small it is, um, you know, nobody ever. A lot of people don't realize the stress that an entrepreneur takes on the CEO, right? So having peers to talk to, hang out with, have coffee with has been great for me. You know, I remember, I remember one time I got invited to a YPO meeting and they have all these successful CEOs in the room. And they're all, you know, interested in me. And I had probably like 12 or 13 employees at the time. And they're joking around. They're like, hey, Jason, have you ever been sued yet? Have you been sued yet? And they're all laughing and they're all raising their hands. You know, it's like something common. I was like, oh, wow, this is a topic, just an open forum, you know, where they can communicate and work through these challenges and stuff like that. I'd never been sued, by the way, nor I hope not to get sued. But, <laughs> but me you know, the, the, <laughs> they just had their companies were so big. It's like a daily thing for them. And, um, you know, aligning myself with other entrepreneurs has been really important, you know, Know, to, to have that event. I still have, you know, Aaron Everson, my co-founder at Shoutlet is now CEO of Avid Ratings. I mean, we still talk all the time. Eric Christopher, who was my VP of sales at Shoutlet uh, is now CEO of Xylo. I talked to him yesterday, you know, so we still keep in contact because we're always running through the same challenges. You know, locally, I think I've, I've talked to you about this before too, is I think we really need to be focusing on, um, mentoring and, and kind of, um, helping the next class of entrepreneurs coming up, right? Um, we need more developers. We need more marketing people, more salespeople. So getting them in at these startups and having them grow, that's going to have a lot of spinoff companies, you know, that go off and start, you know, building this community, you know. And um, so that's why I said, again, it's important to send the elevator back down, meet with these entrepreneurs, brainstorm with them because those companies will grow pretty quickly, you know.
0: What's your favorite book? Or um, you know, for if you're reading for inspiration or education, you know, um, or pleasure, what 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 do you like to read? What's your favorite? Well,
1: book? I mean, I. <laughs> I, I I mean I'm kind of boring. I read nonfiction. <laughs> so I do too, lots of it. <laughs> I read I read business books. That frustrates my friends and family because they're like, it's an escape, and I'm like, no, I'm I'm always learning. So you know, for me, I'm like, you know, I I'd rather read the next business book or marketing book or sales book. I don't really do novels and stuff like that. I appreciate them. I just don't really you know learn stuff from that. You know that that I can apply to my actual business. So, I remember one particular book um, that that changed my life. It was called Becoming a Category of One. Right. It's kind of a spinoff. You guys have heard of blue ocean strategy. So it's kind of a derivative of that kind of book. And, um, I was struggling in the beginning at one of my companies, uh, on competitive feature sets and how we position ourselves and stuff like that. And it's still on Amazon becoming a category one. And I read that book and I got through the first chapter. and I go, I am doing this all wrong. You know, I'm chasing the same business. Everybody else is chasing. I'm positioning myself just like them. I have no competitive differentiator. I have no branding differentiator. <laughs> And uh, I came in to work the next morning, fired up. We changed the name of the business. We focused on one thing, and that type of tremendous focus that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast changed my life. Right? I was like, we're going this way. I'm putting my flag in the ground, and everybody's got to follow me off this cliff, and we're doing it. So, and uh, that book changed my life.
0: It's really, it's always fantastic. I have a few books that I return to over and over again mm-hmm. with things that are underlined and circled, and pages that are folded over. Um, so it means everything to have a a reference and a resource like that. Absolutely. So tell me what's next for you, Jason Weaver, what's next on your agenda and what's next for Airdeck?
1: We're having a real good time with Airdeck. Um, you know, I, I I think the difference between Airdeck and the other startups that I've had is I truly built this product for myself. <laughs> so I use it on a daily basis. You know, I feel like we're helping the world better communicate with it. I'm on a mission to, you know, make sure everybody has exposure to it. And I can see working at this job for a very long time, right? Um, this is something I get up every morning and I enjoy using every single day, right? Um, so there's so many different branch off ideas we have for this product that could go on for a long time, even if we get to an IPO and, you know, take this really big that this could go on forever. You know, in my my old years, you know, when I retire and, and um, you know, spend more time with my family, I become more interested in venture capital. So, you know, I can see me um, taking the angel investing thing that I'm dabbling in now and really applying that professionally, you know, and, and getting, uh, getting into that business. I've gone through so many rounds of funding and term sheet reviews and stuff like that. I know what to look for now, that I think I could get into that. So, but um, I'm still a product person first. So, you know, who knows? I might invent something else after AirDeck as well. So, we'll see.
0: Well, thank you for all of the the good work that you're doing, for the inspiration, for the fact that you're always willing to lend a hand to under, other entrepreneurs. I know you've answered many of my emails when I have questions, and I'm very grateful to you because oh, sure. I know how busy you are. So no, sure. thank you for all that you do, um, not only for the starting block community, but the Madison ecosystem and for entrepreneurs in general.
1: Thank you. No, I appreciate that.
0: You've been listening to the Innovate 608 podcast with special guest Jason Weaver, CEO of AirDeck. For more information about AirDeck, visit their website, www.airdeck.co. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Innovate 608 podcast. What's the most innovative thing you've done this week? Record a message all about your innovation and send it to us in an email at innovate608 at startingblockmadison.org. Be sure to check out the Starting Block Madison Facebook page for video clips and episode outtakes. Remember, innovators, do one thing every day that is slightly outside of your comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. Thanks so much to the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact for sponsoring this episode. See you next time.